You are listening to Keystone Stock Talk Podcast, episode 29. We have another busy show planned for you this week. We start off by updating what has become an ongoing bidding war for small cap networking company Sandvine Corporation, SVC, on the TSX. It seems to be a weekly segment. We also question if the Canadian economy is in a precarious position at present. In our Your Stock, Our Take segment, we take a question from a listener about Canadian small cap Quarter Hill Inc., symbol W-I-N on the TSX, a company which recently quote-unquote pivoted its business model and with a huge cash war chest is focused on acquiring technology companies in the industrial internet of things segment. We see if the strategy makes it an attractive buy candidate. Our star of the week is now no stranger to this segment, Applied Optoelectronics, symbol A-A-O-I on the NASDAQ, a company from our U.S. Focus Buy list, which develops and manufactures advanced optical products. The stock jumped over 25% to a new all-time high this week after pre-announcing strong Q2 2017 results. Finally, our dog of the week is former market darling CRH Medical Corp, symbol CRH on the TSX, which dropped 12% today and is off now 55% since April. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for stopping by. This podcast is produced every week for your enjoyment, and show notes are found at www.keystocks.com. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or on iTunes. You can also follow us on Twitter, at Keystocks, and on Facebook. Now let's dig into the show. I would again like to welcome my co-host, Keystone Senior Equity Analyst, a father of one, And a man who, in honor of the 45th President of the United States this past week, has been simply telling everyone at Keystone headquarters that they are in such great shape. Thank you, Mr. Aaron Dunn. Hello, Ryan. How are you today? Doing great. Doing great. Excited for the show. Some lively topics we got to discuss this week. I'm going to start off uh, by updating, like I said, uh, Sandvine Corporation, symbol is SVC on the TSX. Uh, why do we get back into the company today? Well, uh, for those who are unaware, the company has been on our focus buy list for a couple years now and recently jumped uh, 22% when it's announced it received a bid to be acquired at $3.80 by Vector uh, about a month and a little ago. Now, the private equ- this is a private equity firm. From this point, the Offers have been anteed up uh, to around 415 by a competing private equity friend, uh, partnership company called Francisco Partners. That offer was matched by Vector. Um, and then about five days ago, just last Friday, Francisco Partners came in with a superior offer at 440. And it has been a wild ride over this time. And Vector's five-day matching period ends today, which is Friday the 14th. Complicating matters is a vote uh, on the original vector offer, which ends today. So I shared my beefs with management and the initial deal that they structured last week. So I'll not get into that again this week. But I did read this morning a National Post article. And yes, the National Post does still exist. But that's an aside. From from this morning, it came out about the ridiculous timing of the upcoming proxy vote on the vector deal. Now, here's the timing dilemma. 
Sandvine notified Vector last week after Francisco lobbed in the 440 a share offer that it had five business days to match their offer. That five-day window ends at 5 p.m. Eastern time, which is Friday, today. Uh, but the deadline for proxies is on Friday or today at 11 a.m. That's about 30 minutes from now. To make matters more complicated, on the proxy, there is no way to actually vote on the new Francisco 440 bid, which is obviously superior in terms of in minds of shareholders. Now, in the end, the vector offer should be voted down. It's far lower. And, on, and another vote should be called when the final bidding has been completed. What we're saying here is that the company is not making it simple for the average shareholder. Once again, we say the company could do a far better job communicating with shareholders and the market generally. Put out a press release, perhaps, and on the press release, state something other than you, that you still support the Vector deal and go into some detail. Uh, the Financial Post column from this morning, uh, the columnist actually put in his column, to, and I'm going to quote him directly. He said, to gain some idea into what Sandbine might, might be thinking, uh, the company or the management, they sent emails to the company, specifically the head of investor relations and the head of media communications. The former didn't return the email while the latter is out of office till Monday. Now, when you have the most important vo vote in company history facing you over the next two days, to go radio silent and then decide to take a vacation, really, I'd say give your head a shake. Communicate with the market properly and, and uh, it'd save yourself a lot of headaches and save share shareholders some confusion. Again, we're happy that uh, we, we have a 55% gain that we're looking at and staring at the face of Sandvine right here. And we expect to see, uh, you know, produce that gain through this takeover bid. But there should be some more open and, 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 and some more, just more open communication from Sandvine to the market. Yeah, it's amazing that the, you've got this deadline today and the, the investor relations arm of the business decides to take a vacation and, and, and be gone um, during the day of the deadline. Certainly, there's, there's going to be questions that, that shareholders want to pose. So it's, it's more than suspicious when, when you hear something like that. Yeah. And you also really have to, I mean, you get information like that. Obviously, the, the, they just don't want to communicate at this point in time um, with investors and with the market, which... Really, I mean, it, it doesn't bode well for, for, for the quality of management. No, no, it's optically terrible, to be honest. And, and just we also reached out to Sandvine uh, a week ago uh, and have heard nothing back, which is very strange as we are shareholders and a number, uh, hundreds of our clients old shares in the company. So very so you strange. Said, you said before we go on, I just wanted to... Uh, clarify you said last week that it was a 60 million dollar break fee it went from 8 to 16 million is that it was am i correct there yes 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 yeah so i figured out that's about three percent that's about three percent of the market cap at the at the 415 bid um whereas the 440 bid is about six percent higher than than the 415 bid so i don't know if it's a coincidence where the the new company is coming in at double the the breakup fee exactly double the breakup fee but it's it's um it certainly incentivizes the company if they have to to pay that breakup fee and take the larger offer yeah i mean and, and it may be strategic yeah it may be but i it just 
yeah. It, no it, excuse not not to consider the larger offer is of what course, I'm saying. Of course, of course, yeah. Even yeah. with the breakup fee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Of course, and it should, I mean, shareholders, all they really care about is, you know, the offer is definitely higher, so we should, you know, be taking that offer. And, and I think you'll eventually get to that situation. Uh, it just doesn't need to be as complicated, and there should be just more open communication. And I think you should have started, instead of starting at 380 uh, you should have started at a higher price, and potentially you're at a higher price at this point. But uh, I think we've set our piece on that. Um, topic number two here, we're going to talk, is the Canadian economy, and a number of people have been saying recently uh, and over the past year, really, or year to date, the economy, is it in a precarious situation at, at, at present? On, on those who are, are predicting impending doom for the Canadian economy, the points they will make is, uh, they stress and look at the real estate market. Uh, government regulatory changes to mortgages marked, uh, which came in the fourth quarter of 2016, and then again recently have significantly tightened credit and mortgage availability, which could lead to potentially a national housing correction, increased foreclosures, and potentially a recession. This is the argument on that side. And in fact, some will say that this has already started. Home Capital, which is the largest publicly traded, uh, quote-unquote, subprime. We wouldn't say it's exactly subprime, but people put the parallels to what happened and what went on in the U.S. in their credit crisis towards Home Capital as a Canadian, quote-unquote, subprime lender. Uh, they recently suffered a run on the bank and will, will likely prove, as a, and they say, as a harbinger for the coming crash in the Canadian market. Of course, we now know that that lender has now been given a huge lifeline, and we talked about that a couple weeks back. Canadian interest rates spiked uh, this past week as the Bank of Canada has taken a more hawkish stance amid a backdrop of apparently coordinated central bank tightening talk. Now, the Toronto housing market, which is a linchpin for the Canadian economy, has apparently finally cracked. The Vancouver housing market... Now, it's a tougher situation here. Has it cracked? Um, condos continue to do quite well, but uh, there are a number of people that fear the recent coalition between ND the NDP and the Greens in BC bodes poorly for the housing market in this region. So you do you see uh, finally a, a pullback, a significant pullback in that market. There's continued weakness in oil. Uh, should that result in another leg down in the Alberta economy, this would bode well for the or bode poorly for the Canadian economy. In short, the argument is a perfect storm is brewing that the Canadian housing market and the Canadian economy could be sent uh, into a tailspin. Now, on the other side of the argument, GDP growth over the, the the first part of this year, the first quarter and a half of this year, has been strong relative to other G7 countries. But again, if you have this slowing housing market, slowing energy prices, or even just a status quo in where energy, energy prices are right now, does that growth halt? Uh, and, and then do you see uh, a situation where you see uh, progressing towards negative growth? Aaron, I'd like your thoughts on what I'm talking about here. 
Well, I remember a year ago there was a report out that that stated it it broke the the job numbers down in Canada and essentially nearly all of the job growth that we had seen um in the previous year had come from the Toronto and the Vancouver areas. So you know, it it doesn't it doesn't take if you're if you're from Vancouver, you're from Toronto, you just have to drive down the street, you can see all the screen, cranes in the sky, all the construction activity. I mean, it doesn't take a genius to know what you know two of the the biggest growth industries have been um in these regions over over the last several years and and when the when the foreign buyer tax did come into Vancouver that did impact the the market for single family houses that market has now actually recovered it's it's starting to grow again although sales sales aren't as high um but what it did not impact was was the the multifamily market the condo market the townhouse market that market continued to go strong and that's where we're seeing a lot of the construction is just everywhere you, you drive around in Vancouver um, they're just the they entire block slated for demolition and they're, and they're building towers. So there's a lot of jobs being created there, obviously. And then a lot of, a lot of jobs that just trickle down from that, um, you know, supporting the construction industry either directly or, or through other types of services that people that are employed in that industry purchased all the way down to, to, to restaurants and, and vehicles and basic services just, just for living. So it's, it's, Certainly, when I look at the Canadian economy, and I think you, you and Ryan, Ryan, me and you have always said that that we we have never liked the diversification of the Canadian economy. I mean, it's always been so resource based. Over the past decade, it's been so real estate based. So it is it is a very it is a very concentrated economy. And I think that when you have a concentrated economy like that, you're always just kind of standing on ice because if one of those legs break. It, it can really take down the rest of uh, the rest of them with it. That being said, was it the right decision to to raise interest rates? Well, really difficult to say. I think that that one interest rate increase is not really going to move the needle that much in terms of impacting these industries or really putting people underwater with being able to service their their mortgages and their other debts. However, it what really matters is how aggressive. Is the BOC, is the Bank of Canada going to continue to raise rates by? And if I had to be a betting man, I would say that they're going to try and not be too aggressive. It's been seven years. I think that they like the idea of being able to raise rates a little bit just so they can reduce them if they have to in the future. But, you know, they they really, they, they don't have many options right now. So, you know, one or two rates rate raises this year is is or over the next year is is essentially what I would expect, and and much more beyond that. And I think that they can really deflate the the growth that they that they believe that they have generated over the past year. Yeah, I would agree. One to two uh, quarter point increases is is not uh, is probably in the cards, but it's not. It shouldn't stem. Or destroy the Canadian real estate market or the housing market. Now, I wouldn't go too aggressive beyond that. Looking at what I see right now uh, in the economy, broadly speaking, because as Aaron said, so much of the job growth has been tied to this sector segment, and you are in a bit of a precarious situation. And in my opinion, the average Canadian household is over leveraged right now. We did not do as the U.S. has done and deleverage households uh, when the financial crisis hit. And that, to me, worries 
Uh, it doesn't keep me up at night, but it, it worries me slightly about the Canadian economy right now if we were to see an aggressive uh, rate increase uh, from the Bank of Canada. We don't expect that. And uh, more than one or two increases really, in my opinion, would be a poor choice at this time. Now, let's look at our Your Stock, Our Take segment. Uh, we're going to look at a, a company called Quarter Hill. Uh, its symbol is W-I-N on the TSX. They were formerly known as YLAN. It is currently trading around $1.89. Market cap's around $221 million. Our question came from a longtime client this week who's looking to deploy some of the capital he made on a company which he purchased on a recommendation of ours at the start of this year. The company that he had bought was called International Road Dynamics, IRD on the TSX was its symbol. IRD was purchased by another Canadian company. That company is Wyland. And our client asks if it would be a good idea to purchase shares in Wyland, which is now Quarter Hill to continue to participate in the anticipated growth of uh, international road dynamics as they now own them? That's a great question. It sounds like a potentially solid strategy. We were asked this question actually back in April uh, when the acquisition happened and occurred. Wyland, because we really liked international road dynamics business. We advised clients at that time, however, to take the cash as we looked unfavorably on Wyland's business and did not feel the leadership group had shown any ability to create shareholder value over time. At that time, Wyland shares were trading around 275. Today, the shares trade lower by a third at around $1.85, $1.89. So what does Quarter Hill slash Wyland do? Well, Wyland historically had operated as an intellectual property or IP licensing company. The company's patent licenses cover a variety of markets and relate to diverse set of technologies, but essentially the company acquires patents, then negotiates through litigation or other means with companies to, uh, for settlements them, for them to uh, license their IP or intellectual property. Now, on April 17th this, of this year, the company announced that it would change its name from Wyland to Quarter Hill. Now, I'm not sure what to make of the name, but it kind of sounds like they're about 25% up some kind of a hill. But anyways, the new growth strategy of Quarter Hill will focus on acquiring, this is what the company has stated, technology companies in the industrial internet of things or IIoT segment across multiple verticals. Now, for a company that has already, quote unquote, pivoted its business strategy twice in the past four years prior to this, Attaching itself to the Internet of Things appears, in my opinion, to be a bit desperate, like the company is trying to attach itself to a hot buzzword of the day. Now, in the end, it'll all come down to how effectively the company deploys what at that time was about $150 million in cash uh, that it had in the bank, and the company had no debt. So as part of the strategy on that day, on April 17th, the company also announced its intention to acquire all the outstanding shares of IRD, or International Road Dynamics, stating it was the fir its first foray into the industrial Internet of Things market. Now, this is we consider IRD a good company. Obviously, we recommended it. Uh, but we have interviewed management a number of times and looked at all the company's most recent quarterly reports, and not once did management refer to itself as an Internet of Things or Industrial Internet of Things play. 
So at first glance, uh, we applaud Wyland for identifying what is a good company with strong growth products. However, to profit long-term, you have to buy great companies at great to good prices. Now, IRD was acquired for around $63.5 million. If we look back over the last four quarters, IRD posted $2.1 million in earnings. So Wyland paid over 30 times earnings for IRD. Again, we were happy to take the huge payday on our shares, but Wyland did not buy the company on the cheap, near term at least. While we expect IRD to continue to grow and see strong potential, we do not believe Wyland had to pay such a steep price. Now, Quarter Hill has now completed two acquisitions since announcing its new strategy. On May 4th, 2017, the company acquired Vizia Corp. It's, it's a privately held software and, uh, as a service company providing multinational companies software and services for around, they bought the company for around $40 million. Now, as a result, effectively today, Quarter Health has now three wholly owned subsidiaries, so International Road Dynamics, Vizia, and Wyland. The company has stated that Vizia posted around $4.3 million in adjusted EBITDA uh, for the last 12 months. We know that Vizia was all ready to go public prior to this acquisition um, as, as a, what was known as a qualifying transaction for its TSX venture listed capital pool uh, for a more reasonable price. It was going public prior to this, but Quarter Hill swooped in and offered more and the company uh, went for the higher offer as it should and was purchased by Quarter Hill. So the point being now is Quarter Hill a buy? We see that the company, I can see what the company is trying to do and the idea of creating a growing cash producing business that is less lumpy than its IP type business is a great concept. But for shareholders to be rewarded, the purchases must be at smart prices. Quarter Hell has now spent about 104 million of that 150 million they had in the bank and has inquired about 8.4 million in adjusted EBITDA. This effectively added around seven cents per share in EBITDA to the company. So if you put a 12 to 14 times multiple, which is generous, on the value of what that EBITDA that it acquired, and you get about 85 cents to a dollar in value in the business that it's acquired. Now, prior to the acquisition, the existing business was being valued at $1.15 if you remove the cash that was there. Subsequent to this, Wyland patent or what the Wyland patent business subsequent to this posted a terrible first quarter and when I say terrible I mean it was god awful it appears like the type of quarter that management saw coming and then rushed out to make two high profile acquisitions and push them over the finish line to prevent a complete share price carnage situation the quarter unto itself we believe would have cost the, the business half to a third of its value. It is therefore not surprising to see the quarter hill, the new quarter hill company trading right where it is around $1.85 to $1.90. Now, perhaps some lumpy income windfall falls from its parent business or patent business, sorry, will allow the company to purchase more good businesses. Over time, the business will grow 
stable and consistent cash flow businesses that it has purchased. All we see at present, however, is a management group that has managed to far, pay far too much for its assets, and it will take a number of years to see those earnings that they've purchased backfill and start to reward shareholders with those assets. We like the two businesses that are purchased, just not the price tags. We will monitor it now, but do not see it as cheap, given the track record of management. And you know that's a, that's one of the quintessential things that investors have to look out for with companies that aren't doing well in their existing businesses is that they they go out and they acquire more businesses and that just the whole purpose is just to obscure people's view of the company so they can't really see what's going on underneath the hood and you know nobody only 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 the company's management knows what their what their intentions are but it's certainly it's certainly something that investors have to be wary of in a situation where where a company is was is doing acquisitions or existing business is not doing that great and and they're they're buying assets at high prices agreed and uh, we'll just monitor the situation at present so we're going to move to our dog of the week from our stars and dogs segment it's time for this week's dog Our dog this week is CRH Medical Corp, CRH on the TSX. Okay, so I'll, I'll take the dog here. So this is a North American healthcare company focused on providing gastroenterologists throughout the United States with innovative services and products for treatment of diseases. In 2014, they did a transformational acquisition of a, a full-service gastroenterology anesthesia company that provides anesthesia services for patients undergoing endoscopic procedures. And since then, uh, CRH has incorporated 10 additional acquisitions in the anesthesia business. They now service 27 ambulatory surgical centers in seven states and perform about 185,000 procedures annually. So the stock is down 50%, over 50% from its high of over $12 in April, and it was down more than 15% this morning. Um, yesterday, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid announced changes to the anesthesia reimbursement rates, and this appears to be the reason why the stock has fallen so much today. But the company's exposure to Medicare and Medicaid in the U.S. may may not justify the big drop on this news. And certainly there's something going on with the company that's resulted in such poor share price performance, um, with the shares essentially being cut in half only since April. So we actually did take a look at this company recently um, on the request of a client. We've been following it as well over over the past several years, but just, just recently in the past week, we've taken a look at it. And Again, and one of the things that we we notice is that in spite of what seemed to be very strong first quarter numbers, um, it's really unclear as to what is being produced for the actual shareholders of the company and what goes to the non-controlling interest. So a non-controlling interest, a payment to a non-controlling interest, essentially this this means if you go and you buy a business and you own 70% of it as an example, um, you'll consolidate the revenues and the earnings. 100%, but then you have to take that 30% at the bottom of the income statement and give it back to the other 30% owner. So if you have a dollar in earnings and you own 70% of the company, then, you know, 30% or 30 cents of those earnings, it belongs to somebody else. And that would be the payment to non-controlling interests. But the the issue here is is not just that there are payments to non-controlling interests, but that, that they, they seem to be very unpredictable. So, for example, in the Q1 report this year, the company generated 
$3.3 million in net income, up from $3 million in the year before. But only about $1.5 million of that $3.3 million went to, was attributable to the shareholders of the company, and $1.7 million went to the non-controlling interests. So this is, this is compared to nearly all of the net income last year, all of the $3 million that they reported in the first quarter of last year going to, to shareholders, a very small portion going to, to non-controlling interest. So while revenue was up 60% this quarter in the, la- in, in the first quarter of this year, operating income was up 26%, earnings to shareholders was actually down 50%. And this is a situation that we've we've seen. It's it's a kind of structure we've seen with medical companies before. It's it's not something that we that we like to invest in. It's just very difficult to get a handle on a company that's structured like this. And it's it's hard to understand what portion of the the earnings are going to go to shareholders in the future, and what portion are going to go to non-controlling interest. So that that to us is is cause for concern. And without more clarity and more understanding, we we wouldn't be we wouldn't be investors in this stock. No, it's a great point. We had uh, non-controlling interest. We had questions on a company called Noblis Healthcare, NHC, on the TSX. Um, and one of our beefs with the company w- was the non-controlling interest. And this is a company, too, that uh, once attained strong heights on the market, went had a strong run-up and has been punished you know, over the past two years now. Uh, particularly over the past last year. And one of the reasons we believe is because this non-controlling interest, shareholders are not benefiting from that. And uh, and I I think that investors are are looking at these companies with, uh, they're over-enthused by the numbers and they're not looking closely at the quality of the earnings. And when you have a non-controlling interest taking a significant percentage of the earnings, that's not going to shareholders. And that has to be factored in. And we think that in their over-enthusiasm, it's not being factored in. And then, But you eventually, eventually, uh, you see that the cash flow is not going to shareholders and uh, the share price gets punished. And we're seeing that uh, right now in CRH. Obviously, there was another factor affecting the company today but uh, for us we like to see all of the cash flow you know or a good percentage of the cash flow all of it going to shareholders from our stars and dogs segment it's time for this week's star So the star of the week, we're going to move on to our star this week, and it's a company that has become familiar with this segment, uh, our star segment. It's Applied Optoelectronics, AAOI on the NASDAQ. This company has been in our U.S. growth stock coverage for just over a year now, and we've been tremendously happy with the performance. AAOI is a developer and manufacturer of advanced optical, optical products, the company's products are the building bro- blocks for broadband fiber access networks around the world, where they are used in internet data centers, CATV, broadband, and fiber-to-home markets. Now, this past week, the company's shares are up around 25%. Yesterday, they rose around 8% on the day. Uh, over the past year-to-date, they're up around 250%. Why did the shares surge yesterday? Well, they came out with unaudited 
second quarter results, their earnings, uh, they upped their guidance going forward. The numbers that they came up with were 18% higher at the midpoint of their guidance for the second quarter in terms of earnings. That drove the share price higher. Now, the preliminary, preliminary release was low on details as to what is driving the growth, but we expect that it, the story is similar to what we've seen in the last four quarters. Management has stated the results over this time were driven by the improvement in manufacturing costs, capacity expansion, and solid execution by the company's production team. The fundamental growth story for AAOI supports a continuation of the operational outperformance trend. Hyperscale data center demand is booming and should continue into the second half of 2017. As major cloud computing players like Amazon and Microsoft continue to allocate large CapEx dollars into growing their cloud center data centers, AAOI's revenue growth should continue to produce strong year-over-year gains. Now, following our initial recommendation at $15.99, the company, this company actually dropped to as low as nine dollars uh, within two weeks following that recommendation. Uh, the share, the company had a poor quarter, but it was a one-time event. Clearly, the stock has recovered tremendously uh, today to trade above the eighty-dollar level and is now up four hundred percent since our April recommendation last year. It is actually one of the top five stocks in terms of returns year-to-date on the entire Nasdaq exchange. Consensus earnings estimates for the company have rocketed this year to $5.55. That gives the company a forward PE in the range of 15, which is actually still below the market. Now, we caution that company is in a what can be a, a cyclical segment. So uh, in our last update on the company, we continued it as a spec buy. Today, we just put out a new report to clients. We cannot issue what our, or put out today what our uh, recommendation to clients was there. But the gains that we have seen this week, the 25% gain, the 250% gain on the year, give Applied Octo Electronics the coveted status of our star of the week. And that will finish up our show for this week. Uh, again, a great show. I'd like to thank all our listeners for, uh, for listening and encourage them to continue to contribute. Uh, ask us questions on for our Your Stock, Our Take segment. You can tweet that, those to us at Keystocks. You can ask that, uh, questions through Facebook through uh, going to www.keystocks.com and contacting us uh, via email. Again, Aaron, I'd like to thank you for co-hosting with me, and I'd like to wish our listeners profitable investing. Thank you, Ryan. Profitable investing.